The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Scorebox. Here are your headlines today. The Dow breaks a three-day winning streak despite Nvidia hitting a fresh all-time high. While in Asia, Japan's Nikkei crosses 34,000 points for the first time since 1990. Bitcoin seesaws after the US SEC deletes a social media post saying crypto ETFs had been approved, revealing the account had been compromised. The World Bank warns global growth is on pace for its slowest half decade in 30 years and says the 2020s will go down as a decade of wasted opportunity. Its deputy chief economist tells CNBC global financing conditions will remain tight for the foreseeable future. I think central bankers will wait uh, to see a sustained, persistent decline in inflation and uh, take action accordingly. As I said, the restrictive uh, financial conditions will be with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun acknowledges mistakes by the plane maker telling staff it can never happen again as investigators look into a mid-flight panel blowout. Gabriel Attal becomes France's youngest prime minister in modern history as President Emmanuel Macron seeks to reinvigorate his second term. I want to see it only as one symbol, that of boldness and movement. It's also, and perhaps above all, a symbol of confidence in young people, a generation that deserves to be fought for relentlessly. Uh, look at that U.S. market action yesterday. Uh, across the board, we witnessed uh, slim falls on the Dow and the S&P 500, but a slight gain on the Nasdaq. Again, semiconductor stocks eking out modest gains. So despite a step weaker for most of the major markets, uh, for instance, if you look at the various different sectors, uh, seven out of 11 sectors were negative in the trade, banking stocks in reverse. But you did see the semiconductors gain almost a third of a percent. So a third pause of session in a row was what we witnessed for that sector. So still bouncing along posting some gains. Other areas of the market are worth noting. You saw uranium miners actually bouncing, a fairly strong bounce, 4.7%. So certain pockets of the market investors are picking over. Fang Plus stocks back in action. Also a third positive um, day for the market in that sector. Seven tenths up to uh, in the green is what you saw. So that just uh, explains why the Nasdaq was again stretching for more positive territory versus slight weakness taking place elsewhere. At a sector level, if you just take a look at, I mentioned the Balka sectors up with negative energy again uh, leading to the downside down 1.6 percent u.s tech a close-up look at some of those big names uh, here's how it played out wasn't every part of the tech universe bouncing and in fact stocks that are often leaders in a market bouncing tech were actually in decline the likes of apple momentum named tesla down 2.2 percent and meta fading to the tune of a third of a percent but you had a strong build as you can see in those semis to NVIDIA and AMD, very strong gains. The Alphabet in the mix too, up 1.4%. To Treasuries, 
The market closely watching what's playing out here, and we're 4.02, so still above the, the 4% level. The big countdown taking place to Thursday's CPI numbers and exactly what that inflation print will reveal. To WTI and Brent this morning, the oil trade looking a little bit firmer, so we've ticked up modestly. We're just shy of 78 on Brent, and we're above 72.5 on WTI. The Asian markets, uh, the big standout really has been Japanese stocks as they climb to the highest level since March 1990. Some weakness in the Japanese yen versus the dollar's been cited, but also that semiconductor bounce we're witnessing out of the United States market carrying across to those big chip stocks out of Japan as well. So that is giving the market a further boost. And we're through 34,000 points. Uh, that's a level that we've not crossed since March 1990. So certainly a standout versus a little bit of red uh, dotted across the rest of the Asian market, Steve. How sophisticated are you? I, I, let me make that rhetoric. I would say pretty sophisticated. In fact, so sophisticated that most of the apps that you need for your finances and other things, I know this and I'm revealing something to, uh, to the audience here, have two-factor identification in order to get in. Into. In fact, I remember a battle you had with one of your ones where you gave up looking at something because of the two-factor identification. I had the same problem, and my boss is watching, with my expenses yesterday, where right. it was such a pain in the neck to get into our system. I got in eventually, and then it logged me out. And the thing is, we all live with two-factor identification because it's really important for our security. Yeah. Whatever or, we're doing. Or if we don't, we have multiple passwords because you don't want the same password, and then we can't Absolutely. remember the passwords. Uh, also you you take the strong password, even though it's a pain in the neck if you need to copy it for something else because it doesn't download automatically. Uh, and you do that because it's good for your security. Because yes. we are... Not sophisticated, but we are cautious individuals with our online security. Yeah, it's a key, and then you've got a bolt as well. And you'd think kind of one of the biggest organisations in regulation in the world would also have two-factor identification for its Twitter account, wouldn't you? You would think. You'd think so, wouldn't you? No, no, that's not the case with the SEC, apparently. Because Bitcoin prices whipsawed in late Tuesday trade after the SEC, the aforementioned, deleted a social media post saying the agency had approved spot Bitcoin ETFs. The SEC says its account on X was compromised. <laughs> X says they didn't have two-factor identification. Yeah, that, you can't make this stuff up, can you? The post came ahead of today's deadline for the regulator to decide on at least one of the pending ETF applications, with trading potentially beginning as soon as tomorrow in the event of an approval. Now, I just don't take it as given that Arjun is joining us from a crypto finance conference in San Moritz as well. I've, we've actually done biometric checks on him to make sure that is the real Arjun Kapowers. We've actually done three-factor identification. We can confirm it is he. Which means we've done something that the SEC failed to do, Arjun. That's right. I mean, clearly uh, they weren't really listening in the cybersecurity training the agency likely put on. Uh, that seems to be the case here. Uh, Twitter also saying that part of the compromised account was due to the fact that someone obtained the phone number associated with that X account uh, as well. So th there's compromise, compromises account on many uh, uh, planes here. And I think there'll be a lot of questions how the SEC had allowed this to happen, how that phone number was compromised uh, as well. And clearly, uh, one of the things uh, that resulted from that 
sort of false tweet was the fact that Bitcoin spiked uh, immediately after that. And I think it shows you just how important this ETF story has been and will continue to be to the Bitcoin narrative uh, this year as well. It very much has underpinned the 150% rally we saw last year. It continues to underpin the rally we've seen at the start of this year as well. And the big idea here really is an approval of the ETF by the SEC, which has been very opposed to the idea of a Bitcoin ETF for, for a long, long time, uh, will bring in more institutional investors into Bitcoin. It will bring in a new class of investors into Bitcoin. And this could propel the cryptocurrency to new all-time highs. Of course, we're still waiting uh, for that uh, approval here. But I think it shows that perhaps the ETF approval may not be the sell the news event that many had thought that it may be as well. But on top of the ETF approval, here at the CFC conference in San Moritz, there will be another topic on the top of participants' mind, and that is uh, halving this uh, event written into Bitcoin's technical code every four years. That's expected to take place in April this year. And this is when the rewards for the Bitcoin miners, these are companies, organizations that run these specialized machines that solve complex cryptographical puzzles that effectively serve to validate transactions on the Bitcoin net network. Their rewards for doing this job will be slashed in half. This is designed to keep a lid on inflation in Bitcoin and reduce the supply into the market. And when we've seen this in the past in Bitcoin cycles, this has usually preceded a bull run as well. So this is really what's getting uh, investors excited at the moment around the Bitcoin and broader crypto story. The question is, is this cycle any different? We haven't seen Bitcoin in an environment with interest rates this high. We haven't seen Bitcoin in, in such an environment at this point in time. So will this time be different at the moment? The market signaling that there's still a lot of bullishness around these two stories, the ETF and uh, the halving as well, guys. Arjun, I want to bring up the issue of speed because it feels as though the market is racing to try and get the first mover advantage. And as we wait for the SEC decision, it really is around one joint venture. This is the ARK Invest one, the Cathy Wood operation alongside the crypto asset manager, 21 shares. It's just this assumption in the marketplace that the, the rest of the applications will get approved as well. But what is the first mover advantage now, given that it feels like there's a ton of competition already on fees and cutting them to a price where it stimulates competition? I think it's going to be uh, very much dependent on how quickly the SEC moves itself. There is this thought that perhaps uh, the SEC won't just announce one ETF approval. They may announce a, a dozen or so uh, potentially at the same time. Uh, if that plays out, then I think it's going to just be a battle around the fees and brand names uh, as well. You know, you've got Grayscale on one end, which have had a lot of experience in this. They're a well-known player in the market, but their fees are a lot higher than some of the traditional players entering uh, this market as well. So the question is, will investors like the brand name of Grayscale, that experience they've got in Bitcoin, more than, say, someone like a BlackRock, for example? And that's going to be, I think, the key here as well. But then the other, the other point that you make, Karen, is if there's perhaps a delay in some of those other approvals, the, the uh, first mover advantage could be pretty key because I think there's a lot of investors waiting to get in on this because they see that ETFs are going to be approved. Perhaps this uh, signals somewhat of a slight softening of stance from the SEC. What does this mean for sort of Bitcoin going forward? Will, it, will there be more favorable regulation towards it in the US? That could be a big boost for the broader crypto markets as well. So there's lots of questions there. And I think first mover advantage, if uh, a bunch of applications don't get approved in a short space of time, uh, could be quite critical.
Arjun, uh, we've authenticated that it's you and you've got the ski attire on, but I'm not believing that you're actually in Samaritz. Having just come back from there, I I'm not sure I saw the same drapes and uh, the same CNBC backdrop. But where's the snow? Where's the mountain? Where's the horse and carriage? Oh, there's, there's a lot of snow. I've trekked it up a hill this morning uh, to be here. It's only like a 10-minute walk, but it is, it's steep. It's very steep. I was out of breath at the top mainly because I'm very unfit after the holiday period, but it's very dark here. And when it lightens up, we'll show you the beautiful mountains in the background, the, the heaps and heaps of snow, uh, and maybe even some skiers walking through at some point as well. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Arjun. Yeah, we do, we do need to see evidence you're actually there rather than pretending. So we'd like to see a, a window shot at some stage as well. Um, by the way, that was not subtle. What was not subtle? I've just come back from Samaritz. <laughs> <laughs> I was, in, I, I was in the South Downs. I, mean, I just want to say, Arjun, I've just come back from the, uh, from the Samaritz and I can assure you there's lots of snow. Well, I, I saw the pictures of you there. Oh, honestly, it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I know and that. I feel like and, Arjun's and a beautiful keeping lady in a beautiful place. It all himself. looked great. You were, you were road testing all your Davos kits, weren't oh, you? Honestly, it was absolutely breathtaking. Davos is stunning too, but the Samaritz is just a How many big fluffy hats and sunglasses do you have? I've got a few. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about quality pieces, though. You don't need a ton of them, just one or two very good pieces. I know that. Now, Arjun's going to continue the conversation. He's got a fierce lineup of guests for us today, going to be talking us through the crypto space and what lies ahead. Uh, let's push on to US futures, despite all the action really being in the crypto world yesterday. US futures so far, as we count you down to the session later on, looking somewhat soggy. So it feels as though investors have hit the sidelines at this point. Morgana Deladone is joining us now, head of investment strategy, Europe at Global X ETFs. Morgana, thank you so much for joining us today. Markets really seeming to be looking for fresh evidence now. They want to see the CPI numbers later this week. What do you make of the momentum that we're now witnessing in markets? Yes, absolutely. I think everybody is um, is waiting for uh, CPI inflation to kind of give us some cues as whether the Fed or the market is right about the slowdown in the U.S. economy. And um, what we can see from market is the consensus around an aggressive um, accommodative pivot uh, from the Fed in December. Um, is now more subdued in markets, like markets still expecting more than uh, like uh, like double what the Fed is expecting in terms of rate cuts this year. But at the same time, market is a little bit more prudent and that we can see from the Fed funds futures pricing an overall 139 basis points cut uh, for the year instead of over 150 basis points they were pricing in December. So what we really, really want to, to see in market is where the economic data um, are going. And what we've seen from the last meeting in December is that an overall assessment is the negative is overweighting the positives in terms of the economy because the situation is deteriorating on the manufacturing side um, on the job market i mean even if the non-farm perils have surprised to the upside if you scratch under the surface uh, there are some uh, evidence that the job market is slowing especially when you look at the labor force participation rate which is dropping um, and also if you look at uh, the acceleration in terms of hourly um, uh, pay um, salary wage growth I, I mean uh, th there is still uh, some indication that 
it has to be taken with the perspective that there is an increase of part-time jobs Morgan? as well. So, yeah, overall it's... Yeah, look, that, that, that's fascinating. But, but, but in, as you quite rightly say, the repricing from 160 down to 139, 137 what was moderately dramatic in the first few days of, the, of, of this year. And yet we're still 60 odd points away from what the Fed has indicated, not promised, indicated in its summary of economic projections as well. The room for manoeuvre for downside from this, if indeed there is, as you say, robust CPI, and um, relatively hawkish language from the Fed. The room for disappointment for the market is plentiful. Does this represent an opportunity to purchase the market or should our viewers be standing aside? Well, it's a very hard question is, is whether we can see another leg of sell-off. And it's, it's, it's highly possible with tomorrow's data if it's stronger than expected uh, from an inflation standpoint. And that would echo uh, the wage growth that is still running hot considering the over 4% growth year-over-year basis, which is considered by uh, Jerome Powell as still hot for, for the U.S. economy. So there is still room uh, for more volatility across the U.S. market. But I would say that what is not clear now is whether it's the Fed who's going to adjust its projections or if it's the market who's going to adjust projection. So what I could tell you is that the March uh, first rate cut is probably a little bit uh, too early, and this, the risk is more skewed to uh, a later action from the Fed, given that they will need more data points, especially on the inflation side, to really uh, draw conclusions on the trend in inflation, especially that like, you have also to take the international context into it. Europe is doing better than expected. The overall international landscape is better than expected, so giving some support as well to, to the U.S. economy. So in that context, I would say that uh, uh, the, the, the risk now is to see more volatility so for investors being prudent in terms of how they are buying the market. Maybe uh, looking at some downside protection is probably uh, one way to go in this very uncertain path around uh, inflation and, uh, um, and rates outlook. Morgana, just very quickly, I had some research from DataTrek overnight saying, look, if you look at the performance over a trading window over the course of one year since 2009, non-US stocks have effectively only beaten US large cap stocks 15% of the time. And typically that's when there's been an underperformance from the rest of the world category. That's not really been the case lately. So even though we might get a short pop in non-US stocks over the course of this year, they're still favoring US stocks, thinking that they will see a bounce back in those big cap names stateside. What do you think? Is it a better year for those US stocks versus the rest of the world and non-US stocks? Well, when you look at the outlook from a rate standpoint, so from the Fed and ECB and Bank of England, you can definitely see that there will be more expectations around an accommodative, uh, an accommodative stance from the Fed than it is for the Bank of England or uh, the ECB, who are still seeing some tightness in the job market here in Europe. We're still seeing inflation running high, especially given that we are more exposed to uh, a variation in oil prices. But in the U.S., it's clearly priced in that there will be some rates cuts. There will be more accommodation, and that is good for stocks. So I would, I would 
I would be also like in, in favor of US stocks versus European stocks, given uh, the outlook for rates is a bit clearer in the US that is going to, to be a lower rate in the US, a lower US dollar, which is going to give a boost to these international companies based in the US in terms of revenues. Uh, but also, I think in Europe, uh, the situation here is, is first less clear in terms of slowdown. But second of all, the buffer in terms of the manoeuvre for the ECB and the Bank of England to reduce interest rates um, is, is big tighter. Morgana, thank you so much for joining us today. Morgana Deladonne, who is Head of Investment Strategy Europe Global X ETFs. Arabile. Well, Karen, coming up on the show, the World Bank warning that the global economy is on pace for its worst half decade of growth for 30 years. We'll bring you Sylvia's interview with its deputy chief economist. And Gabriel Attal is appointed France's youngest ever prime minister at just 34 years old. Plus, from AI disruption to promoting and fostering new skills, we'll look at the key trends changing the workplace with the CEO of Randstad at 8.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. ECB policymaker and Bank of Portugal Governor Maria Sentino says European Central Bank rate cuts could come sooner than the markets expect and that it should not wait until May to make a decision. Sentino added that there are no signs of additional pressure coming from inflation. Meanwhile, the global economy is set for its weakest half decade performance in 30 years, according to the World Bank. Its Global Economic Prospects report says that while the risk of a global recession has receded, geopolitical tensions could bring fresh near-term hazards. Medium term, the outlook has also darkened as major economies post slowing growth amid steep borrowing costs. Uh, Sylvia is here with us. Um, this is a bit of a dampener. A lot of animal spirits out there in markets. Uh, this telling us that, look, it's not looking great. And then they go on to say we could be looking at a wasted 20s if something doesn't change. The message is very, very bleak, very, very negative. And indeed, the main message from the World Bank at this stage is that this is going to be a tough year. And compared to the 2010s, this is going to be some of the more, more difficult times, really. Just to give you some numbers so you have a better idea of what the World Bank is expecting in terms of global economic growth. They expect GDP to be slowing down for a third year in a row. At, uh, for 2024, they're expecting a GDP rate of 2.4 percent and then 2.4 for this year and 2.7 I should say for 2025 but these might not sound too bad when you look at these specific numbers but ultimately they're well below the average that we had seen throughout the 2010s at 3.1 
8%. Now, there's a lot at stake when looking at the global economy. There's a lot of factors that could bring down global growth even further. And one of the points that the deputy economist at the World Bank raised when I spoke with him was the geopolitical landscape. He said that tensions in the Red Sea, for instance, could bring further spikes in terms of inflation. Let's take a look at what else he had to say. When you uh, think about the risk metrics, you know, we used to focus on uh, financial stress because of elevated interest rate. Increasingly, we are focusing on geopolitical uh, tensions. Uh, you mentioned elections. Uh, of course, uh, elections will uh, come with certain level of uncertainty. Uh, but uh, you have a war uh, in Eastern Europe, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You have a serious conflict in the Middle East escalation of these conflicts could have significant implications for energy prices that could have impact on inflation as well as on economic growth. And how much of a concern is that then? Could we see further increases in inflation then as a result of potential disputes in the energy market, the Middle East tensions that we're seeing at the moment? Is this something that you're concerned about? Uh, we are concerned about, uh, of course, the escalation of tensions uh, in, the, in the Middle East and the ramifications of uh, that uh, in energy markets, given that the uh, Middle East is uh, one of the energy hubs for the global economy. Depending on the depth and duration of the conflict, uh, there could be uh, implications, of course, for uh, inflation as well as activity. And uh, given that you know you have this second round effects when uh, oil prices go up, that could have affect uh, you know the policy direction of uh, major central banks. So to sum it up, according to the World Bank, what they're suggesting is that the 2020s have so far been a period of broken promises when it comes to ending poverty, ending hunger, and of course also dealing with climate change. But keeping all of that in mind, the message from the World Bank at this stage is that governments should invest more even though the institution is, of course, aware that uh, monetary policy is changing at this stage. And in, with that in mind, fiscal policy also needs to be quite careful. But the message from the World Bank is that we need governments to do more, to put more money on the oh, table. Oh, come on. I mean, it was a great interview, but it left me incredibly animated, as usual, because he wanted everything in that. He's like, oh, well, the world economy is going to have its, its worst half decade in 30 years, and yet all prices are potentially going up because of geopolitical tension. Well, those two don't necessarily happen, because if we have the worst performance from the world economy, I guarantee all prices will not be surging. Uh, and then he's saying we've got to be careful about fiscal deficits, which are appalling in so many countries, including the US, including the United Kingdom as well. Uh, and yet, at the same time, they've got to invest more. It's like, this is everything that's wrong. And this is how you solve it. But by way, by solving it, you're going to create more problems. It's kind of like they wanted a bit of everything there. But that was actually my point when I was at the uh, IMF uh, World Bank meetings back in October. I remember your brilliant we coverage were, of Marrakesh. We were, we were hearing the same things. These are all the problems you have to deal with. And they're a lot. Perhaps yeah. one of the most challenging periods really spend for more, your but government. Be careful but how can you spend? Exactly. It's a very tough moment. And if you're a government, how are you going to get this right? <clears throat> 
It's challenging. Answers, I guess answers the answer on a postcard to Squawk Box Europe. But <laughs> I guess the answer to some extent is focusing on your priorities. You don't have money to spend right, okay. on everything. All right, he's just let's said every choose, risk. What's the let's priority? Choose. What, what it depends it? on. I'm not a government. Like one of the governments oh, no, should decide. No, what I'm asking him via you because you, <laughs> it's like it's like I get it. Things are tough out there. There's some really bad stuff going on in the world and some really worrying things. Totally. But your solution to one doesn't marry with your solution to other. In fact, your solution to one could potentially create bigger problems elsewhere. It's nice being a, it's nice being a, someone at the World Bank rather than actually working for a government sometimes, isn't it, and having to enact this. And let's also not forget, this is going to shape some of the conversations we're going to have next week in Davos. Don't the World Bank I'm, is we, saying... I'm, I'm, my head is in the sand. <laughs> we're not going to Davos, it's not happening. It is happening, and we're <laughs> likely to hear very similar comments when it comes to the global economic picture. Uh, Sylvia, thank you very much. Uh, the full story on our website, cnbc.com. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.